In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Get this first slide here, here. Its name is King Dakah. It's often referred to as the king. The king, as it's known at Six Flags in New Jersey, is the tallest, fastest roller coaster in the world. It stands at 456 feet tall, over four stories. And it reaches speeds up to 130 miles an hour, and it pulls five Gs. Some years ago when I was younger <laughs> and was still seeking thrills before I drove on 183, <laughs> um, me and some guys from work flew to New Jersey to stand in line for over an hour to take a ride on the King. I must say it looked exciting until I'd driven on 183. And everyone that was with us that day seemed extremely anxious. They were anxious to experience the thrill of taking a ride on the king. So after a long airplane ride and an hour plus wait in line, we boarded the king and strapped ourselves in. It was at that moment that I first thought to myself, I'm not sure this is such a great idea. <laughs> but at that point, it was way too far to turn back. King Dakar, as you see there, and you would be sitting right now in a cart facing that way, takes you from a dead stop to over 100 miles an hour as it races up that straight incline. It is absolutely terrifying. When you're going up, all you can see is the sky above you. You can't see anything. And it literally throws you back into the seat, and you're hanging on just hoping you don't fall out. It accelerates so quickly, it just violently throws you backwards. And then the thrill of anticipation of the steady climb as it slowly goes up exhilarates you even more. And then as you reach the pinnacle, and as we did that day and began to hear people screaming, I thought then for sure I probably had done the wrong thing. <laughs> but at that point we were 456 feet off the ground and it looked like we were a mile high. And then in an instant, in a split instant, the king rolls to the right and drops straight down. It pushes you so back so bad it blew one of the contacts out of my eye. And the, the guy sitting next to me's face was so distorted. It's pushing five Gs, man. I mean, it's unbelievable. You're at 130 miles an hour before you can blink. And straight down you fall and then rapidly you approach the earth and you hit a little straightaway and it throws you up another hill. And as you reach that second hill right there, you feel completely weightless. It's absolutely amazing. It's both terrifying and exhilarating, to say the least. And then once it stopped, after just a 50-second ride, because that's all it was, 50 seconds, we all looked at each other. I couldn't see that good, but we looked at each other and said, you know what? Let's do it again. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> In today's gospel, which is often called the Little Commission because there are two commissions. There's this one and then there's the Great Commission. But in this Little Commission that we call, often call the Mission Discourse of Jesus, we find some of the most challenging words anywhere in the New Testament. 
The words that we just heard from Matthew are challenging to us today, and they were extremely challenging then. And up to that time, following Jesus must have felt like they had been in line waiting to ride with the king. Jesus had been going before them, teaching and preaching and healing. But now, after three years of following him, waiting their time in line to take the ride, they had finally reached the apex of their seminary training with Jesus. And after that long climb, Jesus today commissioned them. It happened, I would want to point out here, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus had told them that the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers were few. Well, they were getting ready to get on the labor ride starting today. So in Matthew 10, he gives them their long-awaited missionary commissioning. They'd waited for years. And today he deployed them to go to teach, to heal, to raise the dead, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to a specialized group. It was like they had now ascended to the very top of the discipleship ride, and undoubtedly they must have been feeling very excited. It had been hard for them to wait their time in line for their turn. That's when Jesus said these words that we heard. As they neared the top of the hill, he said to them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to their courts, flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness for them to the Gentiles. When Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending you out a sheep of wolves, they knew what he was saying. This was common in their culture. It's a scary thing to be amongst the wolves, isn't it? We're still among them today, my friends. But they knew exactly what it meant. And they were probably thinking, Well, Jesus, that really wasn't what we were thinking it was going to look like when the ride started. I'm sure it raised their eyebrows when he said these frightening words. He told them basically they'd be persecuted arrested for his name, told them they'd be hated by men in their own families. He told them they would soon be plunging to their death, like it or not. Friends, church history has certainly bared witness to Jesus' dire warning to those men. As we know, all of them would die preaching the gospel except for John. Jesus did also say these words to them, and we'll look at these real quickly. Maybe. Maybe not. Here we go. Yep, we're messed up on that. We'll forego that. He basically tells them here, though, that even though they go out among the woods, the one who endures to the end will be saved. He said, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next town, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus is basically saying to them today that they would not finish the ride before it reached its end. Jesus' words there in verse 23 have caused a lot of ink to be spilled over the decades. In fact, New Testament scholars have wrestled with the words in verse 23 for centuries. Many have tried to understand Jesus' timeline in this coming he's talking about. He says, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. 
Many think Jesus' words right here refer to the second coming, but it doesn't really fit like that. Because we know that the disciples did carry the word throughout Israel. Paul carried it to Athens, Ephesus, and Corinth. Peter took it to Rome. Thomas to India and other disciples elsewhere around the world after they completed their journey through Israel. So to fully understand that verse, we must have a little Old Testament knowledge. Before we make sense of the words in verse 23, when Jesus said, before the Son of Man comes, requires some Old Testament understanding. We must first go back to the Old Testament prophetic book of Daniel. We all know who Daniel is, right? Remember that Daniel the prophet? He's the guy that danced in the woods then, you know, in the lion's den. He's the one that went through the fiery furnace and then boldly interpreted the handwriting all the wall. We know Daniel. He's a prophetic prophet. Well, it was also Daniel who was given to us the vision of the Son of Man. And he saw that vision. He described the vision of the Messiah, the Son of Man, coming in the clouds. And by the way, the Son of Man is a title that Jesus took on for himself. But Daniel's vision wasn't of Jesus coming to heaven from earth. He saw Jesus ascending to heaven. Ascending on the clouds up from the earth to heaven. I believe Jesus was telling his disciples that they wouldn't finish their work before the Son of Man would ascend back to the Father's side after the resurrection. Which basically meant the twelve disciples wouldn't finish the ride. Persecution, imprisonment, and death would permanently, prematurely stop the ride. Only John, after his time on Patmos, would die a natural death. So he could pen the final words that would give us the rest of the story. <clears throat> Has it ever occurred to you that why God would have used this plan? Why would he do this? Well, he did it, my friends, so others like you and I could take a turn on the ride. All of us get to get on the discipleship ride. First century believers took their turn and then they passed it on to us. And Jesus has also given us a seat on the mission ride here 21 centuries later. Today we at St. Barnabas have also been commissioned to carry on. To persevere even when Satan is trying his best to roast about us out of this building right this moment. He will not persevere because we will. Friends, we're all told to boldly carry the gospel into a broken world. Into our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, wherever God places you, to share the good news among the wolves is where you're supposed to do your work. The St. Barnabas body of believers has been faithful in that mission effort. We support ministries in Malawi and Mexico, at DFW Airport, which is like the Corinth of the modern day world. This fall, we'll be carrying the good news to an entirely new group of people. In this very space, we will launch a new Hispanic service and ministry here. Friends, it's our turn at St. Barnabas to leave a legacy. So in closing this morning, Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Folks, our faith is under attack today as never before because Satan's lies abound all around us. In our schools, our workplaces, in our courts, in the media. Hostility against us, as we know, will always be increasing. Jesus warned us. This warning still goes for us. 
Jesus tells us we must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I must say that historically the church has often been good at one at the expense of the other. But we have struggled to consistently be good at both at one time. Without innocence, wisdom can become devious and controlling. Conversely, innocence can easily become gullibility and naivety. So as 21st century disciples, we must be above reproach, wise as serpents. We must methodically and faithfully go about our kingdom work today wherever we're placed. Jesus calls us to be fearless but not foolish. If the best thing to do is wait for another opportunity, then do what the serpent does and go out of sight and come back for another day. He says the ones who endure to the end will be saved. We may made that promise. So we're called to persevere and endure. And although we face different challenges today than those first century disciples did, we're still on the very same track and the very same ride that they were on. We're still in the mission field today as sheep among wolves, preaching, teaching, and raising the dead, the spiritually dead, to new life, to eternal life. We're still on the same discipleship thrill ride that they were on. Not all of us will finish before the ride's complete. Friends, the years before this church right now are going to be the most exciting years we've ever seen yet. Very few churches, and I've been doing this a long time, very few churches have had the opportunity or the opportunity that we've been given to start this brand new service. So today, I encourage you to take a deep breath. Strap yourself in. Take your contacts out. <laughs> because the best is yet to come. And if you haven't got on board yet, if you haven't got on the discipleship ride yet, then you're not fulfilling your commissioning. So I ask you today, once again, I invite you to get on the ride, to take a ride with the King on the most thrilling ride in this life, and that is to serve Him and to glorify Him wherever He places you. Friends, it's your turn. It's your turn, if you're sitting here today, to do the work that these men started long ago. So go boldly into the world and be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. <clears throat>